Hi, I'm Ernie Boxall, and I am the storyteller. And with No Story Stagnates, I'm helping business owners and interesting people tell their story before somebody else tells it for them so that they can make the maximum impact on more people without anxiety or dread. Coventry. <laughs> well, well, actually, and originally Liverpool. So, okay, so I've, got, I've got a few hats at the moment, but Sam. So I'm a, a mature student, as they, they sort of usually use the term at uh, Coventry University. Um, so I'm currently studying a fine arts and illustration BA um, on the second year. So this is the second semester. Um, and I basically got into um, this course because I had to move back after a divorce about five years ago. Um, spent a year sort of finding what I wanted to do for myself. I used to have a background in IT and engineering. Uh, started going to um, some art sessions at a local charity in Coventry called Arty Folks. Um, and they used art as, as like a therapy, therapy, but they also look at helping people progress in life. So it was about a, a year there and the, the proposal came up. So, what, you know, why don't I do the art and design foundation from you? So the foundation got a portfolio together, helped me apply, uh, helped with sorting out the benefits, etc. So I spent a year doing the art and design foundation, which was absolutely brilliant. And uh, I, uh, I mean, I, I sort of, my final project, I, I did um, a, a drawing robot. So I brought in some more computing and engineering stuff and it, you know, it was great fun. So um, after that, I'd already decided about halfway through the, the, the foundation that I want to do a degree, I want to carry on doing this. So, you know, here I am now sort of a year and a half into the degree. And uh, I've also just launched um, a new limited company which I'm basically bootstrapping partly by doing some IT support work. Um, so it, it's literally sort of this last week that I've officially started to do some work on that. Um, but also tying in uh, sort of the ideas to publish comic books and video games um, and do some video work as well. Um, and that ties in really, really well with the, um, the degree because we're doing a Kickstarter project. And so we have to do a, a project for the second semester where we have to actually do a commercial launch on Kickstarter. Um, and it's like, it's almost seamlessly building into my business plan. So it's work, that, that sort of side of things working really well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, narrative storytelling, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So I had uh, sort of done O-levels, the last year of O-levels. Um, 
and actually at school I wanted to study art but I was sort of I, I sort of ended up doing subjects I didn't really want to do so I did technical type subjects design and stuff so I went into engineering um, so I did a, a, national, a, a national diploma um, and then I did a high national diploma I did that at the Cognitive Technical College which used to be called the Butts which is now a hotel <laughs> but you know that was a a really good I thought that was a really good place to study and learn um, and from there I did spend about three months doing a degree but I didn't really enjoy it and I was offered a job at a small engineering firm in, in Staffordshire um, uh, and I decided to take the job so I spent quite a few years in engineering and I sort of it was burnt with Staffordshire uh, making something called Fred rolling dies so the, the stuff that the fat, that makes fasteners and nuts and bolts and stuff that goes into the tools um, and from there I, I then got a job in Coventry uh, working for a you know a, a company that did um, double glazing furniture, so all the hardware mechanism patio doors and stuff like that. Uh, it was a it had a German head office, so I got to practice my bad German, do some you know technical translation and stuff. Um, and I did that for a bit, and effectively that went on for a while. But I'd always had problems with, with dealing with with bullying and issues in the workplace. Always been quite anti authoritarian. So an incident happened, I'd have just walked out of the job. Wasn't the best way to set up into business, but I basically, um, I, I start, I went on some business courses, started to do a bit of IT, and it was a bit of computer support, a bit of graphic design work, and a bit of a mix, but mostly computer support. Um, but it was also, it was quite erratic because I was trying, you know, trying to establish a decent income, which is quite hard when you've got a mortgage and everything. So, um, and about that time, um, I started to get, you know, quite ill with migraines, chronic migraines and stuff. So um, there was a period of time when I did some part-time lecturing at Solihull College. So I spent a few years doing that part-time. And again, it was trying to get that income stable, but there was sort of this yo-yo between my health and, you know, the illnesses and stuff. So it, that, that sort of happened for quite a few years. Um, sort of fast forward a bit, um, uh, I got married. Uh, with someone in Coventry, moved to rugby uh, with some stepdaughters and my daughter, partly for the schooling as well. We, we didn't think Coventry schooling was as good as what was over in rugby. Um, and to supplement some of my sort of part-time earnings, I worked for, for a, an IT company in um, rugby. Um, and one of my passions is open source software and they were an open source company. So it was basically saying, you know, if you're going to be buying something or selling it to a customer, then you should allow them to modify the code and do what you want with it and alter it and change it. And it, it's it's very much a founding principle what I believe in. Um, but that went on for a bit, um, and you know the income was steady a bit. But you know that that sort of ended um, again. It was actually similar sort of circumstances, bullying, and I, I I'm very uh, I actually have PTSD, um, and most of the incidents tend to make trigger me have a, a fake strong reaction so I just have to get myself out of this place or or I get more ill so it, it was it was that was sort of uh, I ended up getting divorced moving back to Coventry and I had to start again basically um, so I was in uh, Folesville Coventry for a couple of years um, again and that, I used to when we was younger when we were in Coventry I used to live in, in, in Folesville that area um, but we sort of ended up moving back there and it was Supported accommodation. I was in there for two years until this, the property I'm in now, which is a nicer part of Coventry, which is Oldsden. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've I've done you know I sort of lecturing. I, I've done some tutoring in our IT resource centres uh, and bits and pieces. And I think I'm now at the point in my life. I, I turned fifty last year, and I'm actually. bringing my, I suppose, passion for art and comic books and stuff, but blending that with the engineering and that, that side of things. So, it's, and I, because I, I, I started, even though in engineering, I didn't, I wanted to do the art side of stuff, I did do some kind of designing and, and it was, and that sort of stuck with me. So now I'm at a point, and because of, you know, many attempts at running businesses, not, not always successful, but you learn from that and that's, you have to get up and start again. And now I'm, I've got this opportunity to apply those skills to the creativity side of it as well. Uh, the biggest learning opportunities, actually, it, it probably is at the moment, is, is probably going back to university, going back to studying and actually doing something I enjoy. When I... I mean, I'd always been reasonably technical. I'd read computer, you know, the, the, the 80s computers. Um, and I always used to use the, read the computer magazines, computer books and stuff. So I was okay on the technical side, but my art, I was always not very confident with my art. So I, I, I wasn't fully committed to it. Um, and I wasn't surrounded by people either in college or in school that would encourage your creativity. And there was always a negativity about art as well. You're never going to make any money in art and that sort of thing. Um, so to be in an environment where you're around people that, 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 that are passionate about art, but also on my current course, um, although I have the fine art component, it's a combination course. So we have the illustration. So there's a very big commercial focus. You're doing something you enjoy, 
but you've got to make money out of it. And here's and the, the tutors are, are amazing. I mean, they, they, they've all got experience commercially. Uh, and, and, you know, quite a few of them are still running, I think possibly all of them in the illustration suite are running some form of business on the side as well. But they've all got practical experience that can impart that knowledge. Uh, I think actually, in some respects, it might have been when I was in the Open Source Consortium, um, which was a, an industry body to try and challenge industry norms, but also maybe to, to challenge the government how they procure things and how they waste money, etc. Um, and at the time, we were battling with, I would say, cronyism, corruption, and, and to this day, it's still there. Um, but it was one of the, the big successes that the, the consortium had at the time was to, to just challenge the, the BBC's iPlayer. Because at the time when they launched that, it was proprietary. So you had to buy certain hardware and software to run it or it wouldn't work properly. So it was challenging that to be an open standard so that it was easy for everyone to use and it wasn't there weren't any barriers to en uh, entry. So I'm a firm... Yeah, and it will, it will, it should work on any device. Whereas at the time there, there was there was restrictions. I mean, there's obviously the licensing you which a hole in the kettle of fish, which I disagree with. But um, it, it not I I, t I played a small part. The consortium did the job, and certainly um, the, the then head of the you know the, the chair of the organisation, Mark Taylor, who's with a company called Serious IT. Uh, I mean, he he spearheaded that campaign, um, and it, it did. It was for a tracing towards the end of the sort of the open source consortium rebranded. It's got a different name now, but it was there was some tensions on what way to go. But that was a really good example of what you could do when you pull together. Um, uh, and I think that the philosophy of free and open source software is that you know it's standing on the shoulders of giants. You know there is a, there's a, it's like the scientific principle of about building blocks of, of knowledge. And you know here is this knowledge that everyone should have for free. You can then build your own products and services or knowledge from it or just do it for entertainment whereas what you you tend to get is that there are some organizations particularly big tech big corporates who try to take free stuff and then turn it into something that's different but then not give back to the community um, and there's a mishap yeah Um, theoretically, it's a possibility. Um, my late dad's uh, brother um, did some searching. He felt there might have been some family links. Um, Giltrap is is actually uh, I've done some sort of digging. It's a, it's a it's basically an alteration of the name Guildford, and apparently it was Irish settlers from the family Guildford that, that moved to Ireland, and the name had either changed or, or corrupted to, to closely. Ireland, so it was actually English settlers in Ireland that partly brought that name across. Um, I, I did some digging on how you know there's not many guild traps around the world, um, so I would expect finding the family is probably related quite closely. Well, interestingly enough, um, you see, I my youngest brother uh, was called James Guildtrap and he died a few years ago. Um, but what, what I actually found, someone contacted me about my name. 
um, and said, did you know uh, Jamie Giltrop? And I, I wasn't into this music scene, I'm into different music, but there was actually a DJ Tango that used to do the sort of the, the, the rave type music and stuff. Uh, and he was called Jamie Giltrop and apparently he's Gordon Giltrop's son. But what I didn't know is he lived in Nuneaton. So it's like, it was like, the, you know, it was weird that, that there was a, a Jamie Giltrop, a similar name to my brother's, that was living just a of rows away. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, from memory, um, it was that um, he was actually in a TV ward, and at the time, my mother was a nurse, so he met her when she was a nurse. So um, she wasn't a nurse when I was born. So I believe... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they, and my, my, my mother was from Anderson's town sort of, um, in Northern Ireland and, and they were actually married in Belfast. Uh, so my dad was born in, in um, Liverpool. His, his parents were from Dublin. But actually when he was very young, the, the family moved back to um, Dublin during the Second World War. Um, but it, I think it was Liverpool Irish Islam my dad's certificate because there was still that link with the 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 uh, Brit it was sort of Britain, I think as well at that time and um yeah my my, my granddad who I never met because he'd already died by the time I was born uh, was a customs officer so it was but it was yeah it was interesting he he although uh, and I think they, they spent a few years in Dublin and after the war they came back to Liverpool and they, he, my, my dad grew up there um and then my, my dad uh, my dad and my uncle had done the natural service and stuff and that, like that. Yeah, a little, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, a little bit, yeah. I mean, when, when we, I, I actually sort of spent the first few years of life in Runcorn, Cheshire. Uh, was, the accident of being born in Liverpool is basically by the maternity hospital. Um, and with my dad's job, we moved to Coventry, um, probably quite a well-known name, Court Halls. Lots of people used to work in Court Halls. And uh, when we, we moved, but the, 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 the housing that we were lived in when we moved over was, was provided by Court Halls. Um, and that's a, an interesting social thing that companies used to do that people seem to forget about. Um, and we then moved to Ireland for three years. Uh, when I was about between six and nine, so we actually sort of missed the the all of the winter of good discontent. Um, now I know that those stories from you know speak to other people and you know from from when my dad was alive, um, but yeah, it was it was interesting coming back uh, in the aftermath of that. But also it was actually my first, which was really interesting when I was looking. You know, you see a lot of this polarization society. It was my first experience of racism. Um, in a British school, in a Coventry school, where a mixed race boy was basically trying to bully me because I had an Irish accent. So, um, and it, it's even parallels quite recently, about six months ago, when this BLM stuff which was quite controversial. The amount of Irish racism that was bubbling on the surface because they thought that that didn't count and whatever um, was quite a shock. 
Um, and it's still something that, that is saying, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, life is complicated and it's about class culture and stuff. It's less about the color of your skin and more about your background, your religion and stuff like that. Um, Ah, hmm. uh, I think a big eye opener was, I had, well, actually one of the, the major issues for me when, when I turned about 16, 17, I'd done, I was starting my national diploma and I actually ended up in, um, uh, being sectioned uh, in the local mental health hospital. Um, and they were, I was quite a, a shy, introverted kid, um, um, but I think life just got on top of me. Um, stuff at home got on top of me and it was just too much. But I think that started my mistrust of the government. It really kicked in the anti-revolt because the way that I was, in my opinion, treated and the way they treated me um, and not fixing what was wrong um, sort of had repercussions later on. Um, now, I, I, this would have been about 1987. So I was born 1970. So it'd been about 1987. So I'd done a year of national diploma. Um, so I basically missed a year of, of college, but I, I got, I went back, um, I finished my national diploma, um, and then when I did my H&D, got a job. So I, I sort of soldiered on as it were. Um, there was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's lessons in reflection and self-therapy, um, one of the, the the biggest issues over my life is the complete lack of proper support for therapy and counselling for PTSD, and the over reliance on drugs, medication, psychiatric treatment, um, to the point of misdiagnosis, and, and it does more harm than good, in my opinion. And that that's actually from a campaigning point of view and from a passion. That's something I firmly believe in. That the one, the whole system is wrong, and two, the mandatory treatment is wrong. Um, you know, and it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I, I moved on. Um, you know, I got to actually, and, and the next I think big experience I remember is going to Germany for three months. Um, I was on the H and D, and there was a student about twenty one. Um, sorry, about nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it did. I mean, people don't realise. I mean, I don't. It's been a long time since I've been back to Ireland, so you know, I do want to visit again. But there was, there were, there were a lot of differences culturally between Ireland and England at the time. So there were, there were a lot of adjustments to make. Um, and from a, you know, if people watch it on television even these days, the stereotypical Irish um, idea. But on the, on you know, on the ground, on the street, there are subtle differences, and it, it's the same as. Being in, say, Coventry or the Midlands and going up to Scotland, and there are differences, and unless you're living there, you don't necessarily know them. Um, but one, one thing I have noticed is there was a very strong Irish community in Coventry when I was young, and that's very seems to have gone disappeared. It's still there, but it's almost underground. It's um, various factors, of course, that, but you know, it, it's there was a very strong community bond. 
but that that spread into a community bond with other communities. Um, so you know, there was a community element, and that that community element seemed to have broken down a bit. That's something I noticed. But when I went to Germany, it it was it, I think it was my first experience of the difference between the one thing that I think the Irish and English and the, the, the British have over all the British Isles is a very strong sense of individuality of being a free man of, of being able to plan your own destiny. Whereas I think it was my experience of the collectivism of, of Europe um, and you must do this for the greater good. Uh, and it, it was, I loved my time in Germany and I met some great people. And also when I was doing the exchange, there was students from all Poland, you know, all, all the Scandinavian countries, Finland. So it was a really a big melting pot. And you, you know, you got to learn people from different parts of the world. Um, now, I grew up, we've grown up in Folesville. Um, you know, uh, we did, it was quite multicultural even then. So you had lots of people from different communities over the years, and a lot more than maybe other parts of the country. Um, and, you know, even today, um, a lot of the misunderstandings and sort of the, the hostility is because people haven't grown up together. And it takes generations for people to start to be able to integrate well on all sides. Um, so it was a good, ex it was good to open up to that. Um, hmm. Ah, right. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, there, there was a, there's another thing that was, there was with, particularly with my mother's side of the family. A lot of, I've got a lot of Irish relatives in Coventry, and I, I probably don't know three quarters of them. I don't know most of them, but um, during the Second World War, a lot of um, people from Northern Ireland, and presumably possibly the Republic as well, but certainly from, from my family, came over here to work in the factories because there was no no one to run the factories here because they were all out to war. So needed, you know, so there was, uh, and some of the, you know, some families would stay in Coventry, others would go back to Northern Ireland, but the, you know, the, the, there are very strong ties family-wise between Coventry and um, uh, Northern Ireland for me. Um, uh, and I mean, I suppose that links into to me never sort of completely fitting in. Uh, I suppose. Um, yeah, thirteen forty. Oh, yeah. That that's where I, I suppose I properly grew up. <laughs> 
um, I, I, you know, moving on with with some business ideas and and sort of trying to focus a little bit more about what I want to do, um, and you know, I, I sort of it chugged along a bit. Uh, I, you know, I'd never been in a very long term relationship at all, so I'd never found anyone to settle down with and then you know it, basically I, I, I met my then you know now ex-wife but uh, I think it was I was yeah about 36 I had my daughter um, so but that that certainly was a, a very big moment for me uh, I, my ex-wife had already had two daughters so I've got two stepdaughters as well uh, so that that was a very big divining moment and that sort of changes quite a lot I mean, I, I, I mean, due to circumstances and how things were, but I, I, I you know, I, I think I was privileged to actually uh, have seen a lot of my daughters growing up because I did most of the, you know, I spent a lot of time with her when she was young, um, and uh, my my ex-wife worked really hard and she was work, you know working full time and she still does that to this day. But uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was nice, you know, seeing her develop and growing up, um, and my daughters as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it, it was one of these things that um, with my health, it, it came out of necessity a little bit. And yeah, I can, you know, looking back in hindsight, you can, I can sort of see my ex-wife's point of view that, you know, she felt that she was having to do all this work and I wasn't bringing as much money in. And that was one of the reasons why when we moved to rugby, that I sort of started to do a little bit more regular work in, in, in there to try and stabilise that income a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I am. So, yeah, uh, it, it's where sort of I suppose ghosts of the past might be the best way to look at it, um, and a lot of issues that had built up since childhood just basically compactness are not being dealt with. Um, so, you know, PTSD becomes complex PTSD. Uh, I've sort of since found that, you know, my migraines are in nearly complete remission, um, which is brilliant. I got a brilliant neurologist that, that I was lucky enough to, to actually eventually get. Um, and, you know, not so recently, uh, I was on a series of nerve block injections at the back of your skull, uh, just into, not, 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 not into the, 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 the bone, but into the, 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 the dermal tissue there. And, and that, that, over time, that, that sort of eased up, but also starting to learn more about psychology and fight, really fighting to try and get the sort of support I needed and constantly battling with psychiatric treatment and popping of the pill. And then so the thing came to a head um, while living in rugby. 
there were all sorts of problems going on um, and they weren't being resolved. Um, and effectively the, uh, and uh, you know, until this day, I'm still actually dealing with these challenges. Um, and we can probably fast forward to that too in a bit, but I was in, you know, my marriage ended in separation everything, but within a space of six months, I was sectioned three times. Um, and each time I, I successfully sort of appealed for a tribunal. Um, and I also successfully got my diagnosis correctly labeled because I, I sort of managed to push for a proper psychological diagnosis. And the, the diagnosis was um, PTSD with anxiety and depression. I was, I was sectioned basically under the, the, the premise that I was psychotic. Um, what I've since learned as well, it's likely that, that the worst of the psychosis was actually when I was admitted. Um, and they give you um, psychotropics, which actually in someone that isn't psychotic, they cause a psychotic break. Um, so it's been playing those games and I mean actually and I will fast forward a little bit just to add that a couple of weeks ago I had to go to a knee um, and had a bacterial infection that needed treatment because the lack of treatment for everything other than COVID that got a bit chronic I'd had a bit of a PTSD episode I'm going through a breakthrough is good but because I've got no counseling support it's quite challenging bit of concussion not over and because of the mess and the bureaucracy and all sorts of rubbish in my record there was a, a sort of escalation to the point of wanting to section me which I'm, I'm to say I'm, I'm annoyed about it at the least and I mean my brother was great about it my support worker was great and they said this is not going to happen um, and from my care plan it should never have happened but it goes back to the fact that I, it should never have got to that point in the first place just before I was you know with my marriage broke down um, I'd got a, set, a, a sort of assessment that said I needed um, CBT, I needed counselling. But when they took the action to sort of deal with the situation, it was off to the funny farm. And it, these days, it's very, I, I joke to friends about it being off to the gulag because it does very much feel that if you don't fit in and you don't follow the adhered plan and you don't fit into their box, then you must obviously be completely insane. So, it, so it's been a journey of recovery, but it's also been a journey of being, I suppose, that the term some friends have used, I think is quite apt, is your authentic self um, and I think you 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 go through life and you get to the point where if you're not happy with what you're doing and you're not being yourself something's going to break at some point um, and uh, you're you're in Fidel's group aren't you as well I think Fidel Bahu's group yeah he, he made a very good point about chasing the dragon he said you know with, with men in particular at some point they, they, they just have to have that sort of that thing to go for uh, you get to that point, like midlife crisis, whatever you want, what, want to call it, but you know something's wrong internally, you know something's wrong with the outside world, and you you have to fix it. And of course, you know one can get in your way, that, that can do a lot of collateral damage, you know, to yourself and other people. Um, so, yeah, and, and the artwork's been a great outlook to creativity. It's been my therapy, basically. Uh, yes, it's all work in progress, but probably the best place to see the experimental stuff is both is Instagram. Uh, so I, uh, I'll send you all the details, the links and stuff. Um, so I'm on Instagram. I've recently sort of refunded my um, Facebook page, um, and the way I'm uh, the way I'm running them is is basically 
posting stuff that's not finished. It's experimental. It's showing the progress of it. Um, with university, we're going through the process of launching this Kickstarter. So it's it's looking at turning some ideas into a commercial product. So uh, the idea basically is to, is, yeah, as I, I said at the start, is sort of publish a comic book and publish a video game is sort of the challenge. Um, I've got to get some approval for that from, and, and narrow down my focus. So I've got to start being very focused about what I do. Um, and I think probably to add to that, the reason I'm doing that is that a few years back, there was something called um, Gamergate. Um, and now there's something called Comicsgate. And basically it's about ethics and it's about bullying. It's about being independent. It's been allowed to be, you know, it's not allowed to not have the mob cancel you or censor you or tell you what you can and can't say. Uh, which is something I very passionately believe about. So I like telling stories. I like the Batman, the Marvel, you know, Superman. I like telling, you know, my kids and, my, you know, my stepdaughters and, and my stepdaughter's kids as well. You know, it's something that we all share. I mean, I don't think anyone alive has been around, uh, is around that hasn't heard of Superman or Batman. But you, you now have this sort of insane mob, I suppose, the way of, sort of social justice warriors, which are the opposite of what they claim. Um, and they bully and corral people and blame them and be Nazis and stuff. And it's not true. People just want to tell their stories. And you're, you know, we're happy with what you believe, but let us believe and let us have our video games and whatever. So I, I, I want to publish and I want to allow other people to publish the stories they want to do. All right, thank you for, for having me on. Brilliant. <laughs> no problem at all. Yeah, no problem at all. That's brilliant. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm reviewing that at the moment because the, the social media is, is become. I think I'm going more broadcast than received because you're just getting. It's sort of saying, okay, I'm going to promote my business, promote what I do, but I'm not going to get into silly arguments about with people that just just want an argument or want to cause trouble. It's just not worth it. That's a growing lesson. <laughs> Yeah, will do. Thank you for listening to No Story Stagnates with me, Ernie Boxall. No Story Stagnates is the unique way to boost your visibility by allowing the audience to know your story, your brand and your authority. By telling your story well, you can make the maximum impact with more people without anxiety or dread. If you've ever thought about telling your story and telling it well, Go to No Story Stagnates at Ernie at ErnieSaid.info. That's E R N I E at E R N I E 
said.info. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe if you've enjoyed what you've heard on the video. Take care.